All right, church, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll be in Ecclesiastes here uh, in a moment. So if you're a guest with us, uh, it's good to have you again and, and kind of catch you up on where we've been uh, so far uh, this year. So the first half of the year, we've been walking through the Bible uh, together in 2015. So we're preaching through the Bible chronologically. So we started all the way back in Genesis back in January. And so we're on a journey of reading God's Word on our own. And so when we come into our weekly gatherings like this, we're preaching from the portion of Scripture that we've been reading at our own time with uh, the Lord throughout the week. And so what we've been looking at over the last several weeks is this man named Solomon. And we looked last week at kind of a high point of the people of Israel's history. So they built the temple, they dedicated the temple before the Lord, and we looked at that, that what the picture of the temple really was, that it was a picture of biblical worship. Remember that last week? And we defined worship uh, to mean something. We said worship is revelation and response that you see something of great value and you respond to that thing by sacrificing things that are are suited to the value of the thing that you have eyes to see so if worship is that when we see who god is when we see the glory of his name when we see the value of of his magnificence that there's no one greater than our god then the only response to that is a life that says, God, everything that I have is yours. There's no sacrifice too great. There's nothing too costly. I will gladly lay down everything to, to obtain that thing. I'll, obtain, I'll lay down everything of value to obtain the thing of ultimate value. That is what worship is. Worship is more than a song. It's a way of life. So we talked about how we need our minds conformed to the things of God because we're never going to be real authentic people. Let's be honest, we can play the game in church, right? Anybody ever played the game in church? We can do that, or we can say, no, 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 let's not play the games. Let's take all the facades off, take all the masks off, and say, what does it really mean to be worshipers? What does it really mean to see God for who He is? Because, guys, listen, when we see God for who He is, we don't have to make ourselves do anything. There will be an overflow of joy and obedience that, that comes when we see God for who He is. We need that kind of transformation of our souls. So some of you need to hear this, and you hear it from me every week, but I will remind you again that God is not, at first, is not asking you to do anything for Him. At first, He's asking you to to be someone, to love Him. That is what Christianity uh, is all about. It's an inside change that leads to an external change. And so if there's any change in us, guys, we look back and say, no, it's all of grace. It's all of what God has done as I've seen him and he's changing me to be more like him. And I want my life, listen, to not be lived for my glory, but his. That's what it means to be a Christian, is I live for something greater than me. And so I pray that we're experiencing that. I pray that we're fighting to believe. And we talked about that last week. We have to fight to see God for who He is because that is the, the, where we, it has to all start. So I pray this week has been a week of fighting, that you've been taking all of the doubts and all of the things that cross our minds. Because let's just be honest, that's where, we, that's where we live. And you take all of those doubts and you speak the truth of God's Word about who He is into the longings of our hearts. And so if you haven't been doing that, I invite you, don't get lazy in the pursuit. Don't get lazy in the fight. There's, there's a, a battleground for our souls that are happening, uh, and God is, is worth our praise. And so we're looking at this man named Solomon. So last week, the temple, it's worship. That's the point of the Bible. It's the point of our lives. And guys, listen, it'll be the point of eternity. For the rest of eternity, you will spend your life 
worshiping God because it'll take that long to exhaust the riches of His grace uh, in our lives. And so, worship. But this week, we're going to look, kind of finish our, our kind of looking at Solomon uh, and see kind of the way his life ended. So you've got this man that we've been studying. He's one of the, the greatest kings uh, of Israel's history. Uh, he's one of the wisest men, besides Jesus, who's ever lived. That through Solomon's reign, it was the most wealthy, the most prestigious, the most power, the most peace that Israel has ever seen um, in their history. So this guy is kind of the, one of the heavy hitters of the Old Testament, if you will. But I want us to see uh, his downward trajectory. I want us to see kind of how he started first, uh, how he ended and then maybe look at something that Solomon has to say to us in the book of Ecclesiastes of that journey of his life. So a uh, heavy, heavy message this morning, but I pray that we see Jesus um, through this. So 1 Kings chapter 3, I will begin reading in verse 3. Uh, we'll be skipping around. The words will be on the screen. It might be easier to follow along uh, that way. But verse 3 says this about Solomon. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, notice Solomon's prayer. So that's how Solomon began. Notice his prayer. We've read this uh, about a month ago, but I want to read it to us again. It says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people. So I want us to look through this passage of how Solomon began his life. Very quickly, we've already read this. It's kind of a review for us, but it's important for where we're going. Uh, First, we see about Solomon, that he began with a genuine heart toward God. You see what he says? That it says that he loved God and he walked in his statutes. So Solomon had got a glimpse of who God was. And he had responded with, I'm, I love God. He's everything to me. I'll sacrifice all things for him. And I'm going to do as he says because God is a good father and he's leading me in the way of life. And so I'm going to obey God. See that? He walked in the statutes of David his father. So he, he, Solomon is a man who loves God and is trying to obey him. Tracking with me? It's important for where we're about to go. But notice the humility in his life. Notice what he says, that you have made your servant king. So Solomon acknowledged that his success was of grace, not of his effort. And so for men on Father's Day, this is a good paradigm of what it looks like to walk in humility before our God. That if there's any success in our lives, it's not because we worked really hard at it, although God uses our efforts. But ultimately, even the, the, the work that I can produce in myself is the evidence of His grace in me. So I have no, nothing to boast. Paul says, I worked harder than any of you, but it was not I. It was the grace of God at work within me. So he has a humble posture before the Lord. that He's being made king, but he says, notice his posture. He says, but I'm a servant, and you have put me in this position. A humble posture before the Lord. And then second, he acknowledged his inadequacies to do what God had called him to do. Again, talking to men this morning, predominantly, this is for all of us. Man, I, I, I know as a man, you, I, I feel it, this weight of can I really be what God's called me to be? 
Can I really succeed in what God has played before me? He's given this dream in my life. And do I have what it takes? And the, he acknowledged his inadequacies. So God had called him to this, to this task. But notice what he says, I'm a little child. I'm a little child. And so, so many times in this culture, we feel like we've got to be macho and have it all together. And I love this posture of going, you know what? And when it really comes down to it, I'm like a little baby. That's completely dependent on someone else. Because that's really reality for so many of us. But we just want to act like we've got it all together. And we walk as if we don't really need uh, anyone or anything or, or definitely do not need God. And he says, I do not know how to go out or come in. That's a really good place to be. I don't know if you've ever got to that place in your life. But you're going, you know what? God is calling me to so many things. And if I was really honest, I don't know how to take the next step. I don't know if I should take that job or that job. All this stuff's going on in my family with my kids and my wife. Or I don't know if I'll ever be married and I'm walking in singleness. And that's not what I had planned for my life. Or we're just trying to make ends meet. And I seem like I'm just living my entire life. And I just can't seem to get the bills paid. I don't know what to do. Ever been there? I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't even know where I'm going. I love the honesty of Solomon here. He's just so humble before the Lord. But instead of despairing, look what he does. Instead of despairing, he says, you know what, I just quit. I just give up, which is I see so many men in our culture do. You know, when it kind of gets to that point, like we start humble, then we see the inadequacies, we see who we really are, we see that the obstacles in front of us are bigger than the power that we have to get over them. And instead of throwing in the towel, Solomon says, you know what, I'm going to ask God for wisdom. Not for him to come in and make everything better, but no, no, wisdom to understand who God is and how to navigate all of these complexities of life. He asked for wisdom. He said, God, I can't lead these people, but you can. And if you're putting me in this position, God, give me an understanding mind. Change the way I think so that I can lead these people the way that you're calling me to lead them. That's the way Solomon began. And that's such a great picture for us of what humble servant leadership looks like. Is that true of you this morning? But I want us to notice how he ended his life. So we're going to skip ahead and see what is said of Solomon at the end. So turn with me to chapter 11 of 1 Kings, verse 4. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. See, notice he didn't just walk away completely from God, you know. He wasn't just becoming, you know, an atheist and just giving up on church and all, all together, which that's, for some people, that's where we are. But his, his heart was not wholly true. He didn't completely walk away, but somewhere his heart was drawn away by all these lesser joys, these lesser gods. And the end of his life, it says he wasn't wholly devoted like he started out being. As was the heart of David, his father, verse 8. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But notice this is just haunting. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded humble, wisest man who ever lived. And he allowed 
in, in Solomon's case, it was all of these foreign wives. And that's not a, a racial slur there. What that means is uh, foreign is outside of the command of God. These people that were going to worship false gods. That was the, the command of Solomon. Don't do that. These people are going to lead your heart away from the one true God. And he allowed that to happen. And so he began to compromise. His heart was no longer fully devoted to God. And he began to allow all of these, these women in his, in his life to cause him to offer up sacrifices to their gods. So you see two things here, idolatry. We talk about that all the time here at this church. But an idol, you say, Derek, I'm not an idolater. I don't have a statue I'm bowing down to this morning. That's not true of me. Uh, but an idol is not just that. An idol, we talk about this all the time. But it's anything that we place in the object of our worship. Anything that you ascribe value or worth or significance to. Anything that you run to to find fulfillment is your idol. It's your functional savior. It's the thing that you're looking to instead of God to be what you need. Solomon had done that. But then you see rebellion. Rebellion. Because he, listen, notice the the downward progression. I'm looking at God. I see him for who he is. I'm living as he commands. But then he began to worship other things. Meaning he got his eyes off of the one true God. And began to buy the lie that other things were going to fulfill him. And he started seeking after them. And, and his heart began to be to pulled away from him. I love that it says that it was, his heart was ripped away, it was pulled away, drawn away from the Lord. So when you get your eyes off of God and on to other things, that is the next progression, that your heart begins to get cold. And so maybe some of you are here this morning and say, Derek, I just don't love God like I used to. You know, the passion's kind of died down. Or maybe I never have, and I've always tried to obey outwardly, but I've never had love. And maybe I'll just say to you that maybe, just maybe, the reason that your heart is cold might be the same reason that Solomon's heart grew cold is because he took his eyes off of God. And he started to look at other things, and his heart was pulled away. And notice, it got such to the point that he bought the lie that God was not worth it. Other things were more worth it. And even when God in his mercy comes in and rebukes him, it says that God came, he's angry with Solomon, says, stop, don't do this. It's going to end in death. And Solomon was just rebellious and said no. And he refused to keep what the Lord had commanded. Let's keep reading in verse 11. We see that the path of idolatry and the path of continued rebellion, guys, listen, it ended in the loss of everything. The loss of everything. Look, read with me verse 11. It says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, and my statutes that I have commanded you, this is God speaking to Solomon, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. And what we're going to read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, guys, it's going to get dark and bleak. I'm just going to warn you as we keep reading into these prophets. Because from this point on, the kingdom is now united. But because of Solomon's, divide, because of Solomon's demise, rather, it's going to be divided into the northern and southern kingdom. And you're going to see just all of the atrocities. Well, that's going to be, there's going to be foreign armies going to come in and take them into captivity. Listen, Solomon, through his rule, at the apex of history. Israel's the best they've ever been. And because he refused to walk before the Lord, it cost him and the people he led Everything. Everything. Cost them everything. So we said this statement when we went through Proverbs last fall, but I want to give it to you again to remind us. Your decisions set you on a direction that ends in a destination. 
This is true for all of us. You and I are making daily decisions. You walked in with your last week, and we've made decisions. And those decisions, listen, they're like steps. And every decision that we make, we're walking in a direction that's ending in a destination. Now, I can want to walk toward God, but if my daily decisions are setting me away from God, I'm going to get farther and farther away from the things of God, and we've got to understand what the Bible says is that the end destination is death. But if we're making daily decisions that are moving us in a direction of life, that's going to move us toward God and who He is and what He says out of worship, that the end result is life. So that's just true for us. You're making decisions, especially to you men this morning. You're making decisions that are setting you on a direction that will end in a destination. And we are leading people in that way. Not just to our men, that's true for all of us. That Your life matters. You have influence. And you're making decisions that are setting you somewhere what direction are you headed this morning? What decisions are you making? What is the end goal? Because the story of Solomon is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And what I want to say to us this morning, I believe from God, is to say, don't go that way. Don't go that way. In the moment, it looks fine. It looks like it's where I need to go. But the end result is death. And it's a really good exercise uh, that might sound kind of Morbid and twisted, but I, I would challenge you to do it. I, I heard a pastor that said this about another topic, and I've done this, uh, and I review this. Take a little index card and write just as much as you can. I mean, think about it. What would happen? What would it cost me if I were to walk away from God? What would it cost me? Actually, let your mind go there. What would it do to my wife? What would it do to my, to, to my future kids? What, what would it do to this church? What would it do to you if I were to walk away? If I were to, you know, go into sexual immorality or just say that it's not worth it, what would it cost me? You know what? That shouldn't be my only motivation to follow Jesus, but it's a really good, it's a good side one to say, you know what? My decisions are going to cost. They have, they have influence. They have, they matter. They matter. So here's what I want to do. What would Solomon say to us today if he were here? So that's his life. He started out so well, he took his eyes off God and he ended and he lost it all. What would he say to us if, if he could come in and say, guys, listen, this is what I learned. This is what I, I've kind of got out of life. And if you're wise, don't go this way. Don't go this way. Well, lucky for us, we have such a thing. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, some believe, were written by Solomon toward the end of his life. And it's a part of wisdom literature. And I love the wisdom literature. It's kind of right in the middle of the Old Testament. And so if you've kind of been reading through the, through the Old Testament with us, it kind of gets kind of hard to read, doesn't it? You have all these battles and bloodsheds and kind of census and all this stuff. And in the middle of an arc of a narrative that's happening in the nation of Israel, the wisdom literature kind of comes down and gets in our grill a little bit. And it's about real individual people. So that's like the Psalms. You read the Psalms lately? They're like journals of prayer before the Lord. Brutally honest. I invite you to go read those. Proverbs, it says, here's what wisdom looks like. Song of Solomon, that's that describing the joy of intimacy and celebration uh, of marriage. And Job, that what do we do when we lose everything in life? And Ecclesiastes is the, is the fifth and final book uh, that we see in this wisdom uh, literature. They're deeply human. So let's look into this this morning, okay? So turn with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So what I want us to do, I uh, can't preach the whole book. There's no way you guys are not going to put up with that at all, I know. Um, so I want to kind of pull out some things and really kind of hammer in on chapter 1 uh, to kind of unpack what really is happening in this whole book. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, hear from uh, our friend uh, Solomon this morning. 
This is the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So before we just jump into verse 2, let me just pause and say the words of the preacher, and some would translate that teacher, and that's what Ecclesiastes means. It's Latin and kind of a Greek combo. Uh, Ecclesiastes means preacher, teacher to the assembly. Uh, so listen, if you read Ecclesiastes this week, it's depressing. <laughs> it's dark, meaningless, meaningless. Like, my goodness, you know? This is not just some dark, twisted, I hate life kind of journal of this guy just kind of just verbally vomiting onto a page. It kind of seems that way um, when you read it, but that's not what this is. Because the verse, first verse tells us the point of the book, that Solomon is not just taking the, guy, the place of a cynic. He's taking the role of a, of a teacher. So he's going to wrestle and be really honest with all of his doubts and all of his frustrations, but he's doing so to teach us something. Okay? He's not just vomiting out just to be hearing himself talk. He's actually coming at to a posture to say, I'm trying to teach you a lesson about what it means to walk through life in this quest for meaning, in this search and pursuit of purpose. And that's pretty applicable because I think all of us, if we were honest, maybe implicitly or explicitly, we're all searching for meaning and purpose. And so um, I think it's pretty timely for us to wrestle with what God's Word has to say to us uh, in, in Ecclesiastes this morning. So verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Praise the Lord. Let's go home, right? It's like, that really? Man, thanks for the, for the buzzkill there, Solomon. I appreciate that, bro. What's the word vanity mean? So sometimes in our culture, we think vanity, it's kind of being, you know, full of yourself or whatever. What, what's vanity mean? It's literally translated meaningless. Or literally the Hebrew word, if we're going to get all geek, let me be a geek for a second with you. It's the word habel, and it means the word breath. Breath. It's a, it's a vapor. So a breath has the idea that it's easily, quickly, and permanently whisked away. So what you know what saying? Everything is meaningless. It, it's empty. It's not filled up like what we want to think that it is. That it's just a breath. That it has no substance, and that it's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. There's no foundation to it. It's the same word that's used for Abel. Abel, remember what happened to Abel? It's kind of the idea that his life was but a breath, but a havel, a breath. It's the same word that James uses in the New Testament. He says that all of life is a mist. It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then is taken away. So it, it, the, the Bible would agree uh, with this. So everything is not what it seems to be. Solomon would say everything is meaningless purposeless no substance to it i'm gonna skip over to chapter 2 verse 11 the words will be on the screen i love this word picture that he uses to kind of describe this word vanity or habel um, to us this morning it says chapter 2 verse 11 then i considered all that my hands had done and the toil i had expended in doing it and behold look all was havel is empty meaningless it was a breath and it was a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I love that picture. It's as if he's just striving after wind. You realize how stupid I look up here, dude? He's like, yeah, you do look really stupid. But I mean, that's the picture. Is that I feel the wind on my face. I know it's there. I know there's something going on around me in this life. And when I try to get a hold of it, I just can't seem to grab it. It's a striving after wind. It's a futile effort, in other words. And he says that's everything in life. <laughs> everything in life. 
And he illustrates to us back in chapter 1, verse 3, why he came to this conclusion. So why is he such a Debbie Downer? Why is he Eeyore, okay, this morning? What's going on? Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. It sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Notice verse 8. All things are full of weariness. So if Habel means it's empty, he's saying, no, no, it's, it's, it's just full. If it's full of anything, it's full of meaninglessness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. So he's saying, guys, everything's a breath. You know why? He kind of says this, this idea. I think, it, I think Solomon would agree with this statement. Life is like a treadmill. You thought I was going to say life is like a box of chocolates, didn't you? Uh, I wasn't. Um, life is like a treadmill. You know, it's that point. He says, I get up, and I do all this stuff, and I'm running, you know. I'm exerting energy. I'm sweating. I'm getting cramps, you know. I'm tired. But I'm not getting anywhere. It's like I'm running on a treadmill. I get up every day and I'm doing the same things. And that's true of everything in life. There seems to be all this movement, all this stuff that's happening around us, that's happening right now. But for what? Like, where are we going? What are we doing? And he says, man, that's life. That's life. And so Solomon's wrestling with where you are today. I know you are because we're real human beings. So let's get to where we're living. Isn't life just mundane? I mean, if you really, really think about it, it's mundane. You get up, you know, your schedule's probably really similar day to day, unless you've got a really you know, strange job that you get to kind of switch it up, but you just kind of do the same things every day. Can I get a witness? Laundry. What in the world? It keeps piling up. We're like, didn't we just do the laundry? And like, it's like overflowing. I'm like, there's two of us. Like, how does this happen? I don't understand. The dishes just keep piling up. Like, I mowed the yard this week. You know what I did last week? Mowed the yard. You know what I did the week before? mow the yard i'm gonna mow the yard next week i got my hair cut last week and you know what i did the month before i got my hair cut it just keeps growing out there's just this constant cycle of things moving around us but for what purpose and, and so we can get so easily caught up in all the things that we're doing and have you ever gotten there saying what am i doing you know like i'm going to work i'm trying to you know, do life but there's got to be more anybody or am i the only one okay Goodness, kind of looking at me all self-righteous and stuff, okay? Like, I, I've been here. I've been here. I get up every day and go, man, I believe in what we do at this church. But I see, even as, as a pastor, you say, well, you're not that way because you don't have a real job, you know? Like, you're not out working in the real world. And even every day, I, I, that's my wife. I come home and say, you know what? I did a lot of stuff today. She's like, what'd you do? How was your day? I'm like, I don't know that I have anything to really show for it. Like, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of ideas, moved a lot of things forward, you know, studied the Bible some. I was like, but I don't, there's got to be something. Anybody feel that? This is the cycle of just keep moving, keep moving. What, what did you do today? I, I don't really know. You know. I moved a lot, did some stuff, but I don't really know what I did. It's just life. It's just life. So Solomon is lamenting this work. Verse 9, let's read this. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. 
Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. So you know what Solomon's saying? This is life. But even if you try to break out of that and try to get some novelty and find something that's new, you know what? It's already been done. Somebody's already been there. Someone's already tried that. That you can try to break out of it. But even those things are going to be empty when you get them. I mean, is that true for you? You say, man, if I could just finish college, then I have some purpose. And you actually get done, then what happens? Like, oh, man, what am I going to do now? You know, like, that was the thing that was going to fulfill, and you get it, and it's still Havel. It's empty. Man, if I could just get married, and marriage is awesome. I highly endorse marriage. I'm pro-marriage. Love you, sweetie. But, like, then you get married, and it's like, man, you know, like, this is real life. Like, most of marriage is lived in this mundane world, right? It's not, oh, honey, I'm home. Like, it's not, that's not real life. It's bills and laundry and living life. And there can be a letdown if you have a, a, a faulty view of what that can be. And for us, we're expecting our first baby. If you don't know, woo, you know, I'm going to be a daddy. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm pooping my pants. It's supposed to be the kid's job. I'm scared. Uh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that, but oh, well. Um, but then, so I, I'm now looking at this and saying, you know, that's the next step. And I don't want to look to that to be everything because it's going to be empty. It's going to end the day like I love the kid, but it's not going to be fulfilling. You get that job, you get that promotion, but then it's, there's got to be more. And that's why Hollywood and the people that seemingly have it all, all the fame, all the power, all the good looks, all the money, all the relationships, they're miserable. They'll say it. You remember the interview with Tom Brady? They said, you know, what what does a man do when he has it all? He's like, I I just don't know. There just seems to be something else, and I'm going to keep chasing it. That even when you try to pursue the new things, the new things, and when you get them, it's just Havel. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's all a breath. There's nothing new under the sun. And then if he says, okay, if you're so arrogant to think, no, 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 not me, not my life. Notice what he says in verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be of any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You know what he says? Even if you do, kind of achieve something of great value and you do something of yourself you're going to die and everything that you worked for is just somebody else is going to get it <laughs> you know there's no u-hauls following the hearse you guys have heard that you know adage you don't take it with you you're going to die you're going to leave what are, you, what are you leaving behind is it really worth it at the end of the day and then he says a generation comes and a generation goes and no one's going to even remember you happy father's day you know like i mean seriously like that, that's just the case I mean, let's just think back. Some of you might, but do you really remember the, the details? Maybe you know the name because you've done the family tree search, but do you remember your great, 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 great grandparents? I mean, maybe you can kind of, you say, oh, I know their name, but do you know really about them? I don't. I'm, I'm going to be honest about it. Because, and they contributed in part to my existence. I, don't, I just don't remember them, you know? I go back far enough to where I don't remember somebody. They're forgotten, you know? So my goodness. So what do we do? Just give up, go home, you know, is that, is that life? That's what Solomon's telling us, he's wrestling. I love the honesty of the Bible, it's honest. And so he's, he's coming at us and saying, so here's what Solomon did. He said, this is life, and he set out on a journey to fix it. He said, I'm just going to go do as much as I can to fill up this void and this emptiness of life. So throughout the book, he wrestles with the realities of injustice. I don't know if y'all have been watching the news, but I wrestle with why does this world have to be the way it is? I mean, Charleston shooting, I mean, it's just evil. I wrestle with that. And and so Solomon would have done that. With greed, people just, after things, corrupt authority, 
the unpredictability of life. There's one verse, I can't remember which chapter, so depressing. Basically, he says, everything is uncertain but death. Man, thanks, Solomon. You're just such a pal. You know, everything is uncertain but your death. And that there's just going to be this constant aging. One day you're going to get to the place to where what you used to be is no more and, and you're just literally just aging away. In an effort to find relief, you know what he does? I can't, we won't spend much time, but he indulges all the five senses. He's like, you know what? So I'm, not, I'm just going to kind of stuff all of this evil that's going on, and I'm just going to live it up, man. I'm going to use my power and my wealth, and I'm going to pursue all the things this world has to offer. So he pursued wealth, one of the richest men who ever lived. He pursued power, and he, everyone would have bowed the knee to him. He pursued wisdom and knowledge. This is not a godly wisdom, but just all the world has to say. He got an education. He pursued friends and relationships. He pursued work and said, I'm just going to give myself to what I do. He pursued pleasure. said, I'm just going to try to feel good through these massive parties and had hundreds of wives with sexual pleasure. And he even pursued religion. And at the end, you know his assessment? Havel. Meaningless. It's empty. I got it. When I got it, I saw that it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Everything is but a breath. And so... Our culture would agree, listen, our culture would agree that all of the bad, evil stuff is kind of empty, right? Like, they'll all agree with that. We'll all say, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in life that's just pointless, and I don't, under, I don't understand it. But no, no, Solomon says everything is that. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the good gifts from God, at the end of the day, they're empty of themselves. So here's what Ecclesiastes does. Those two things, and depending on your personality trait and your leanings, it'll speak to you in different ways. Uh, it challenges our naive optimism. So, you guys, the Lego movie, you know, the everything is awesome. Solomon would say, no, everything is pointless. You know, like, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's like, there is, but that's like, it's a, a bestseller last year, right? Or this year, I can't remember, I could have blocked out the Lego movie. I haven't seen it, by the way. Um, but there, our culture has this, this thing that everything's just okay. Just shake it off, I think someone said, right? Like, just shake it off. It'll be okay. Just be optimistic about it. Listen. That's what our culture is saying. That just don't think about all this bad stuff. It'll depress you. No, no, no. Solomon's saying it's good for you to slow down and really ask these hard questions. It's good. It's a good thing. But not only does it challenge our naive optimism, it confronts our negative cynicism. Some of us, you know what? Yes, Solomon, that's right. Amen. Everything is pointless. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be passive. I'm going to check out. I'm going to be bitter. And I think it would challenge this and say, no, 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 no. Ecclesiastes says, no, there's more. So what is the more as we close? Chapter 12, verse 13. It says, the end of the matter. So as he's walked through all of the stuff that he's pursued, here's the end of it. All has been heard. Fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You guys remember how we started out with Solomon? Remember what we said about him? He had a right view of God. That's what fear of God means. It doesn't mean you're trembling in a corner somewhere. It's a reverential awe of him. You see him. Where worship begins, right? You see him. He had fear of God, and he was walking in his statutes. Do you remember that? He was loving God, and he did what he says. And then, you know what Solomon comes down to the end after he did none of that? He says, here's what the point of life is. Love God and do what he says. Have a right view of God in worship and sacrifice everything in worship to him everything else is empty it's empty it's just going to blow away this is the only thing that's sturdy 
So here's a, here's a statement for you. When you ask ultimate things from temporary things, all that's left is meaningless. If you ask ultimate things, that these things of our life can be what will fulfill you, you're going to be left with this inner, just man, something's not right with me. Something's not right. You know why? Because we were made for more. You were made for more than the stuff of this world. You just were. Read verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11 with me. God says this, He has made, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And also, He has put eternity into man's heart. That your heart is too big to be filled up with the stuff of the world. It's just going to rattle around. You were made for eternity. You were made for God. You were made to see Him and be satisfied in Him. That is what you were created to do. So anything else is not going to work. So this phrase, under the sun, keeps coming up. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. It's about 30 times. And that refers to life apart from God. That everything's just under the sun. And I'm, I'm just living life apart from a reality of who God is and what he said. And Solomon's going to say the end result is meaningless. This book was written, I love this statement, for the tension between the sense of futility, meaning the way things actually are. Can we just all be honest and say this is true of life? Different ways for different people, but this is true. So we agree with Solomon. There's a sense of futility. And we get to wrestle with this tension of what it means to have faith in God, the way things ought to be, who He really is. We've got to put ourselves in that moment. So listen, the moment you begin to accept the limitations of a thing, you are free to then enjoy that thing. So then I can look at work and say, it's not God. It's not ultimate. It's a good gift from the Lord, so I don't have to be cynical about it. I put it in its rightful place. It's not God. I find my delight in God, and then I'm free to take a gift like work. And then it has purpose. It has meaning. It's not everything. It's not an ultimate thing. I'm free then to be freed up to enjoy it for what it is. Relationships are not the only place I find validation in. I find that in God, so therefore I'm free up to love my wife because I don't need her to be my God. I have that in Him, and then I'm freed up to love her the way God has designed it to work. So here's a statement. The words will be on the screen. If everything under the sun will fail to satisfy us. Listen, reason with me. We're almost done. If everything under the sun will fail to satisfy, then we need something beyond the sun. Stop looking to all these things. It's not going to fulfill. You need something beyond it. But as we, as we close up, we're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a minute. And I, I wanna, I'm going to come down here and get where we are, okay? Uh, because here's the problem. Romans chapter 3. He says, here's the whole duty of man. is for you to fear God and keep his commandments. But here's what God says of us uh, this morning. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Kind of like the word habel there, right? It's empty, meaningless. It's where we are apart from God. No one does good, meaning no one keeps the commandments of God. We think we know better. Not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Remember Solomon says, fear God. It's the point of life to have a right view of God. And you know what Paul is saying? None of us do that. None of us do. Therefore, verse 19 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped 
and the whole world may be held accountable before God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, being made right with him, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know what he's saying to you and me this morning? Is the point of your life is to love God and, and obey Him. But in our sin and in our rebellion, we can't. And we don't want to. And there's no, he says, by works of the law, you can't make yourself right. So the answer is not get up from here and try to be better. You can't. By the works of the law, no one will be made right before God. And you will live a cycle of just habel, of meaningless. But, but, the good news of the gospel, verse 21, but now. The righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Apart from what you have to do for Him. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all. You get that? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've got going on in your heart, no matter how much you've doubted, no matter how much you think that God can't forgive you and use you, no matter how you think that life can never have meaning and purpose, God says to you, no, 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 it can because I have provided a substitute for you. A righteousness that's apart from you to where then you can experience all that God has for us. You say, Derek, how does that work? I don't understand. Listen, everything under the sun will fail. We need something above the sun, right? Well, Jesus comes. God himself comes under the sun. Lives the life and all of the meaninglessness that you couldn't live and I couldn't live. That he died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose again and he conquers all of the meaninglessness of life. That is what God did. He said, you can't fix this. It's going to be a cycle. This is true. But listen, in me, I could do a work that can reverse this. So what we're reading in Ecclesiastes is really about the curse of sin. Because we've rebelled against God, everything's broken. Nothing's the way it should be. And I love Galatians chapter 3. It says, Christ redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law. From all of this stuff we've been talking about, all these, these wrestlings that Solomon's been having, he says, Christ has redeemed us from that. How? Read that with me. By what? Becoming a curse for us. Life is cursed. It's hard. It's meaningless. Solomon's right. <laughs> but Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to enter into all of this nothingness. And I'm going to take all of this on myself. Bear it for you so that you don't have to live in this. So listen, Solomon says this. There's nothing new under the sun. Here's what Jesus says. Behold, I am making all things new. There is purpose in all of this. There is, because he's redeeming it. He's using it. Don't look to it to be God, but in, in, in God, in my rightful view of God, all this stuff begins to make sense and make purpose. Solomon says, everything is meaningless. But Jesus says to you this morning, he brought you here to tell you this, I have come that you might have life. And not just a mere existence, but life to the full. Abundant. Not empty. Remember when you said that word, Havel, is empty? He said, no, no, I came that I might fill up your life in me. Solomon says, everything we do is in vain. It's pointless. But Jesus says, through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, do not grow weary of doing good or fearing God and doing what he says. Don't grow weary in that this morning, church. Men, don't grow weary in leading your families this way. Because your labor is not in vain. Why? In the Lord. In the Lord. It's not in vain in the Lord. So you go bow your heads.
and close your eyes. There's nothing at all magical about this time. Don't freak out. We're not going to ask you to do anything uh, out of the ordinary. What we want to do is wrestle um, with what God is saying uh, to us this morning. That Listen, this is just true. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless apart from Jesus. And so if you're here and you do not know Jesus... This is not some come down front and sign a card or make some decision or pray some prayer. That's not what we do. We're saying, no, following Jesus is really about all of you becoming a part of all that he is. That You are sinful. You can never, ever make it right. And you're going to just live your life in this emptiness, this cycle of just meaninglessness. But if you'll throw yourself on all that he is, put faith in the substitute of Jesus and say, no, 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 what I was created for is not all this stuff, not me, but for him. And Christ has made a way He's made a way for me to know him. And that way is the gospel. It's the body of Christ broken for us and his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. The perfect one became as guilty so that you could be made righteous. Church, that is what we remember in the Lord's Supper. It's a picture of the body and blood broken. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The band is going to play quietly over us. Uh, So I'm just going to ask you guys, as you are ready, to take it back to the table. We have two tables in the back, one toward the front. Grab the elements, the bread, and uh, the juice. Come back to your seat and wait. Wait patiently because we will take that together as a faith family uh, here in just a moment. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we ask that you not take the Lord's Supper. It's reserved for those who are in Christ. But we offer you more than bread and juice. We offer you more than a symbol. We offer you Jesus. And so we would love for you to understand who Jesus is. And so as people are taking, we'd love for you to grab one of us or wait after the service. I would love to talk to you more about what that means. But for the rest of us, go before the Lord, repenting of our sin, claiming the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, and let's remember the gospel. So as they play over us in a posture of prayer, just make your way to the tables, and then I'll, I'll lead us, and we'll sing a song of celebration, okay? Let's do that together.